Welcome to Diverse, the podcast of the Society of Women Engineers. SWE supports the advancement of women in engineering and technology. You can find all of our podcasts on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and SWE's blog, All Together, at altogether.swe.org. Looking for more information and data on women in engineering? Head over to research.swe.org and review the groundbreaking research that SWE has been conducting. SWE's research efforts include reporting on women of color in engineering and how community colleges may play a role in getting more women to graduate with engineering degrees. You can also check out the annual SWE Literature Review in SWE Magazine's State of Women in Engineering issue. Welcome to SWE Stories, Tales from the Archives. I'm Troy Eller-English, SWE's archivist. And I'm Ann Prusik, SWE's Director of Editorial and Publications. This is the third of a three-part series featuring speakers from a 1968 SWE National Convention panel of past Achievement Award recipients. In the earlier two episodes, we featured talks by 1956 Achievement Award recipient Elise Harmon, the 1957 recipient Rebecca Sparling, 1961 recipient Laurel Vanderwall Renault, 1963 recipient and Society founding president Beatrice Hicks, and 1964 recipient and computing programming pioneer Grace Murray Hopper. You know, they were all great segments, but I was particularly excited about the talks by Beatrice Hicks and Grace Murray Hopper. Hicks's strong leadership at the founding of our society was instrumental to its present success. And Grace Murray Hopper is an absolute legend, and she's also very, very funny. She was. If you missed the previous two episodes of Sweet Stories featuring these speakers from the 1968 panel, we definitely recommend that you go back and listen to them on the Diverse Podcast on your favorite podcast app or search for Sweet Stories Tales from the Archives on altogether.swe.org. And as we mentioned in previous episodes, the 1968 panel recording was digitized from 52-year-old reel-to-reel magnetic audio tape. And as such, the audio quality is certainly not as crisp as we are used to today. You can follow along in the transcripts for these episodes by searching for SWE stories on altogether.swe.org. In this episode, we pick up where we left off in the 1968 SWE Achievement Award recipient panel with Drs. Martha Thomas and Marguerite Rogers. Thomas received the Achievement Award in 1965 in recognition of her contributions to chemistry, including the development of natural white phosphor for improved fluorescent lights. During the panel, she explained how the Achievement Award catalyzed her career, and she also spoke quite humorously about her home life as the mother of four young children. I think you'll enjoy this talk from Martha Thomas, Introduced by SWE President Alice Morgan Martin. In 1965, the Achievement Award was presented to Dr. Martha Thomas in recognition of her significant contributions to the science of chemistry as an engineer, educator, and administrator while fulfilling her duties as a wife and mother. At that time, She was section head of phosphor research and development, responsible for all phosphor development work carried on by the Lighting Products Division 
of Sylvania Electric Products Incorporated, a subsidiary of General Telephone and Electronics Corporation. Although educated as a chemist, she has become a proficient engineer and has many patents in the phosphor field. She graduated from Radcliffe College and won her advanced degrees from Boston University. Martha is married to Dr. George Thomas, who is Director of Organic Materials at Army Materials Research Laboratory in Watertown, Massachusetts. They are the proud parents of four daughters. The oldest is 11, going on 21. <laughs> One is nine, going on 10. And the other two are five and four, just going. <laughs> In 1966, Martha was chosen as a Captain of Achievement by the American Academy of Achievement and received a Golden Plate Award in Dallas. Since then, she has been on the Board of Governors of the Academy. Just prior to this honor, she made a radio tape in connection with the 175th anniversary of the United States patent system. It is with great pleasure that I introduce Dr. Martha Thomas. You know, uh, in spite of uh, Alice's comments, Los Angeles is going to remember me as that mother <laughs> with the four children. <laughs> but it, it's been fantastic, and I think that uh, I can't forget the experience. My husband never will. And uh, the youngsters have had a wonderful time. Now, uh, when uh, I was asked to speak here, uh, I was asked to talk about things that have happened to me since the award. Uh, Alice has mentioned one or two of the highlights, but I'd like to mention, as the others did, that I think the highlight is receiving the award. Um, I think because of the award, these other things occurred. At least they were catalyzed. I've never had so many newspaper stories, pro and con, I've been on radio and TV, and I can't say it's my cup of tea, but it's very interesting. And I have to attribute a good uh, portion of it to the publicity that came from the award in 1965. I also think I'm a little unique as an award winner, because in 1965, three of the four came to Detroit to uh, observe Mummy's Day of Success. The third one got herself housebroken two weeks ahead so that she could make the trip because I assured her <laughs> I had enough problems <laughs> with it. And, and believe me, a three-year-old youngster realizing that this is one of the necessities of life, I think the award accomplished a great deal. <laughs> On a little more serious thing, and actually, I wear two distinct hats. I think perhaps on the tour you've seen one hat. I don't know that you'll ever see the hat I wear at Sylvania. But um, as a result of, of the award, um, I have a piece of paper now that says I'm an engineer, in spite of my chemistry background. And since that time, um, I have been given the privilege of setting up now a total of four pilot plants. Now, they're in not such interesting fields as aerospace, 
But therefore, these fluorescent lights that aren't still giving enough light, in our opinion, um, for television, phosphorus, and that sort of approach. And since I learned my engineering on the job, I am now just getting to the point where I can take a concept from the laboratory and realize what it's going to do when I steal it up for the pilot plant adventure, and it is an adventure. As I left Sylvania last Wednesday, uh, the latest development that's coming along is requiring that the roof be raised <laughs> on this multi-million dollar building that Sylvania is very proud of, and I've been dealing with architects and so forth so that this uh, new development won't affect the outside appearance of the uh, building. So I've learned an awful lot in engineering uh, prior to the award, but now that they decided that I'm really an engineer, I've certainly learned it since then. Um, I think the other thing the award has done for me is to increase my sense of responsibility. Um, you don't receive an award from people that you've known and who are in your field uh, without realizing that you've got something pretty big to live up to. And this is awfully hard for me because, you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I tend to be sort of a, an extrovert. Responsibilities, yes, I have, but, but when I get an award, that, that makes it real rough. So you didn't do me any favors by giving it to me. <laughs> but I'm so glad that you did. <laughs> Since um, 1965, um, Sylvania has gone into uh, developing a lighting center. Uh, I think General Electric has one at Neela Park. And... Uh, <laughs> As you all know, in industry, uh, competitive companies always sort of eventually come to the same conclusion. And one side story, once we moved into the lighting center, we became more or less like goldfish in a bowl. Because you don't have a center such as this without the president thinking, well, now I've got to show our prospective clients that we do have scientists working, etc., etc. So there are tours that go around once a day, once every two days. And I sit in my office, and if you want to hear some descriptions of first what I'm doing and second what I am, you should sit in that office. <laughs> At one point, I became the all-time woman engineer of the world. <laughs> and if the moon were included, I'm sure that the tour guide would have made me the all-time. <laughs> But with all this, uh, we're still progressing. I think that perhaps the nicest award, but not certainly as meaningful as the uh, Society of Women and Engineers Award, the nicest award I received occurred the year following all this clamor. And um, we have a Christmas party. My group has a Christmas party. And uh, as you know, the ten from joke gifts to, uh, you know, grabs. You have to do something at a Christmas party. <laughs> so one of the um, young engineers came up with the idea of having 
sort of a Nobel Prize um, representation or uh, put on Nobel Prizes for the Lighting Center. This was all unbeknownst to me. And um, I received this award. Now, those of you that work with men, I think you'll understand why this hit me the way it did. It said, Outstanding Scientist Award, presented to that woman among us who has made the year's most significant contributions to the field of lighting science, maintaining her sanity, well, that was very simple if you see my home life, <laughs> and composure while functioning as a scientist, wife, mother, teacher, soother of ills, counselor to her subordinates, defender of the truth, etc., <laughs> etc., et surely is enough to put her in the midst of the immortals. Rewarded for these very qualities, we honor her tonight on past occasions too numerous to mention. It is with great pride that we present this modest award, and it turned out to be the Platinum Plate Award, and it was a pie plate <laughs> with a little green bow. Well, that, that, that just sort of figured that uh, things uh, were going. And as an operational uh, engineer, I think it's, it's very difficult for a woman to try to keep everything balanced and even without saying, oh, that woman. Now, I'm sure they say it about me, but uh, at least on Christmas time they have the spirit. There's one other um, thing that happened to me, and this was just this last summer. As I got the award, then all of a sudden the company decides you must go up further in management. Well, the big problem with this is that as you go up further in management, the paperwork goes up exponentially. And I don't like paperwork. I like engineering. And I think that probably this was felt by the corporation, and I received notification that I was to attend the um, course for management of research and development at MIT last summer. And I went there, and by golly, it was another first. I was the first woman to go there. Now, this is, again, the luck of the Irish. There was a woman due the previous year, and there was an airplane strike, and she couldn't make it. <laughs> so we get along beautifully at this course, and I came back, and I felt sure that the company thought I was going to now settle in and get some of this paperwork moving off my desk instead of stacking it in files. That's amazing. No one's after those papers in the file. You can leave them there for years. <laughs> Nothing. But in the order of cleanliness, maybe they thought I'd clean out the section, but I didn't. Instead, I had learned one or two concepts, and I bring one of them up now, and that's the communications problem. One of the things I learned at this course was that Although everyone likes to get a small office where he can think, in, a, in many surveys that were made by the Sloan School, they found that the, the fewer people in the office and the more isolated the office, productivity went down. 
It was a very interesting concept because I had always wanted an office of my own, you know, instead of uh, sharing. So I came back, and when we moved into the lighting center, we all did have our offices, 12 by 12, cinder block, you know, and a real ideal for thinking. <laughs> when I came back from the course, as usual, Sylvania couldn't predict what a woman would do. I immediately tore down four walls <laughs> so that now we have three offices that are communicating. Um, one more aside on this communications problem, which I think is a very real problem among everyone today. I think you've met the four girls off and on over the last two or three days. We were driving down to the Cape, and uh, they were all stashed in the station wagon, and they were behaving not in the manner that they've been behaving these three days. Uh, we had at least two bloody noses. People weren't talking to each other. And after all, when you think of George's role in this all-feminine household, and he had just really had a rough week, which is just it was very difficult. You could see it was trying on him. We get to halfway point, and there's a Howard Johnson. And so there was dead silence, and um, the oldest one said, Daddy, are we going to stop Howard Johnson tonight? And uh, the father thought a minute, and he said, Do you think your behavior to date warrants such a consideration? There was dead Dead silence, <laughs> And the second one, who uh, calls a spade a spade, said to me in a very low voice, Mummy, does that mean yes or no? <laughs> well, I don't know that I've said what I was supposed to say up here, but all I can say is that the uh, Society of Women Engineers Award has been the high point of my career. Uh, it uh, hasn't done anything but make the world go faster, but I'm still not at the point where I want to say, please stop the world and let me get off, because I love every minute. Thank you. Thank you, Martha. Well, that was fun. As a mother, I particularly appreciated Dr. Thomas suggesting that the largest benefit of the Achievement Award was that it induced her three-year-old to successfully potty train, or become housebroken, as she put it, (laughs) in order to attend the 1965 Sweet Convention with her family. But on a more serious note, I also recognize her appreciation and satisfaction when her male colleagues gave her a Scientist of the Year Award. I have to imagine that was extremely meaningful given the environment for women engineers in 1965, and particularly working mothers. Absolutely. And now, wrapping up the 1968 panel was Dr. Marguerite Rogers, who received the SWE Achievement Award in 1967 for advances in the field of tactical weapons. She's credited with being instrumental in changing the U.S. Navy emphasis on nuclear weapons to improved conventional weapons. She shared observations on moving from academia to industry, the importance of technical communication, 
and the importance of receiving the Achievement Award in lending her a, quote, luster of respectability, end quote. She was introduced <laughs> by 1968 Swede President Alice Morgan Martin, who also chastised Rogers for not wearing the Achievement Award pin for which she had received just one year prior. Last, but certainly by no means least, is the recipient of the 1967 Achievement Award, a bubbly little gal by the name of Dr. Marguerite Rogers. Her name was selected in recognition of her outstanding contributions to the field of air-delivered tactical weapons. Peggy Rogers is head of the Air to Surface Weapons Division of the United States Naval Ordnance Test Station at China Lake, California. Born in Mexico, she received her MA and PhD degrees in physics from Rice Institute. She has made many contributions to ballistics and fire control analysis. Even while teaching physics and head of the science division at Columbia College in South Carolina, she continued her work in weapons research. She has received many honors. Peggy was married to Fred Terry Rogers, Jr., and is the mother of three children. Five? Sorry. <laughs> She is active in church work, is past president of the Women's Guild, is active in 4-H activities, helped found Ridgecrest chapter, and is now an advisor to the group. I must say she has one very bad habit. You have noticed that the ladies up here today are wearing special pins. That means they are award winners. She just received hers last year, and she came off without it. <laughs> so it became necessary for the vice president to present her another one. Now, with your pen, it is with great pleasure that I introduce to you Dr. Marguerite Rogers. I come to you covered with shame. <laughs> I laid that pen on my dresser so that I knew I wouldn't forget it. And so I whizzed off last evening. Of course, I was late getting home, and I whizzed off and left it there. Last night when I thought of it, I almost phoned one of my sons to come driving down here with it. But I I have him under fairly good control, but I don't believe I have him under quite such good control as that. So I didn't. Forgive me, I'll never do that again. <laughs> I have uh, nothing very formal to say. I do have some observations that I would like to make. I think many of the things that have been said uh, this morning are so universally true that the other girls have stolen my thunder, but they so stole it and said it so much better than I would have that I am delighted to have listened to them say it. See, I never listen to myself. That's the reason I can't use a dictaphone. I don't know what I've said. So as a, <laughs> as a result, it's, it, I always have to write everything down and uh, before I can remember what it was. Even a pen. <laughs> I'm bringing a pen. I started my career as a nuclear physicist. That was an ivory tower type of existence. The academic atmosphere. 
I was convinced that truth, with a capital T, would always triumph and generally immediately. They give it about 10 minutes. And experts were always listened to because they knew the right answer. It has taken me uh, some years to discover that people are listened to because people think you have the right answer and not because you do have the right answer. This is a very important distinction that I think uh, several of the other ladies have uh, uh, commented on today. The uh, uh, communication problem is the thing that is going to make or break us in our society today. We live in an era in which decisions are made by people who could not possibly be expected to have technical knowledge. And this, these decisions are made on the basis of communication with the technical people. Now then, how are we going to communicate? Are we going to be convincing and make them understand that we really know what we're talking about, or are we going to be so modest, possibly, that doesn't affect me too badly, <laughs> it's not one of my afflictions, but uh, are we going to be so uh, lacking in forcefulness and cogent thought and convincing uh, ways that uh, we will not be listened to? This is the problem. And now then, this brings, to, brings me to uh, the, uh, uh, a contribution that I think the Society of Women Engineers makes that we sometimes don't realize. I know that uh, receiving the Achievement Award has been a very important item to me, not only personally, because I was tremendously flattered and thrilled to get it, uh, not only because I enjoyed meeting all of you people, but it gives one a backing. Being a part of this group gives one a backing that is convincing and must not be overlooked. Uh, of course, I'm the great uh, uh, one of these uh, uh, curses of my life has been that since so much of my life has been spent in doing analysis for the Navy, people have always uh, considered me an ivory tower mathematician who would be too impractical to know a uh, nut from a bolt. Uh, now that I am an engineer by fiat, <laughs> I gained a luster of practicality and forthright usefulness that <laughs> I never had before. This is, however, something that the, the uh, uh, moral support we give each other in a, an important field is, uh, should not be overlooked as an exceedingly important aspect of the Society of Women Engineers. And I feel very proud to have been an Achievement Award winner, and I have found that it carries a lot of weight among my colleagues and the people that I deal with. Now then, uh, admittedly, I have spent uh, uh, a good part of my life in a very grungy, dull field namely plain old conventional weapons. Uh, conventional weapons uh, are not those that are not, are not unconventional, but more weapons that are old-fashioned. We haven't actually gone back to crossbows quite yet, but we are, uh, thank heavens, due to the efforts of some of our uh, more romantically inclined friends who have uh, built 
nuclear weapons as a deterrent, we have avoided a nuclear conflict. For that, we can only be profoundly thankful. Uh, undoubtedly, without the stockpile of nuclear capability, we would very likely have by now been involved in such a thing. But the kind of work that I do is just plain old iron bomb type stuff, you know. So it means that there's nothing very thrilling about it, and that's always the first thing in the budget cut. The fact that we're using these things in all these little police actions that we do and have been doing for the past 20-odd years, the fact that we're using these things, and they seem to, I hope, be the only thing we will use, doesn't seem to enter into the budget cut people. They would easily be able to take some very thrilling uh, uh, advancement and save $100 million in one stroke of the pen, but instead of which they take 100 k here and 500 k there out of the hides of the everyday practical bombs and fuses and aircraft racks and ordinary things of that sort. We discuss uh, the glorious era in military science and warfare when everything is unmanned. Well, are we going to send a guided missile that costs $500,000 or half of the hemisphere in order to knock down somebody's outhouse? <laughs> That's not cost-effective. It just isn't, you know. <laughs> so some of us are still trying uh, to be the voice in the wilderness and say, if knocking down outhouses is what the military must do, then let's have a weapon that will do it as cheaply as possible and as neatly as possible. <laughs> so I find myself now labeled as a Jeremiah. My work in the Navy it seems to me to be largely one of explaining to the powers that be why the latest tremendous missile idea really doesn't fit into the need. The need is to knock down the privy. So the need should have the weapon tailored to it. And it is amazing how frequently uh, we don't think in terms of whether something is going to do the job that's needed. As soon as we see that we have a technological advance, wow, we can go out there and do all this stuff, and we can have mid-course inertial guidance, and we can have terminal homing, and we can do all this wonderful stuff, and so then the planners say, well, this is all we need. Let's go throw out all our bombs. Let's throw away guns. Let's throw away anything that's mundane like that. Let's go in for a missile era. Well, you need all of them, but you, I find a great deal of my time is spent in going back and arguing why we need to keep some of the humdrum, mundane things going. So uh, communication, I have come to the conclusion, is the most important thing that I have to do. And I believe that this is likely to be the case with many people. The farther along you go in life and the more you work on these things, the more you find that convincing other people is the most important thing rather than the actual technical uh, advances that we might make. In any case, that seems to be the thing uh, that we are doing. I feel that if I had the time, and I admit that I don't, but if I had the time, I believe I could write a proposed technical approach, a technical development plan, an advanced development objective, the entire kit and caboodle of Navy uh, of, of documentation, and I think that I could go and sell a degravitator. 
<laughs> I'm working on this. I guess I haven't really worked out the details. The technical side is a very little important because on most of these uh, advanced development objectives, proposed technical approaches, and uh, technical development plans, you don't really need to say how you're going to do it. You just have to give all this guff in the background about how badly you need it. And all our weapons planners in Washington are more concerned with that than whether you could do it or not. And if you wait, each one of them is much more inclined to feel that this will be a technological breakthrough that will be made on his watch, by golly. And then, of course, maybe he'll be gone when it flops. Well, now, I'm not, I, I think, though, I could stretch it out for maybe 10 years <laughs> before it would be discovered that it was a flop. And that is the point that I want to make. Somehow or other, we must bend our efforts to evaluation. What is feasible and what isn't feasible? Everybody today lives in a state of credulity that makes the uh, rip-snorting days of the exploration of the Western Hemisphere absolutely as naught. It's hard to believe that people could believe as much as they believe now. Come back and tell them about unicorns. Why, sharks, we could tell them to be gravitators instead. And uh, this is a very great danger. So much of my time is spent in trying to debunk things. Being a Jeremiah, just call me Jeremiah. Uh, the, the necessity for communication, for valid, uh, an evaluation that is, that will hold water, that will be convincing, and that people can understand. And I don't mean to imply that uh, admirals can't understand. I mean, they understand a lot of things I don't know about. But when it comes to some of the technical things, they couldn't possibly uh, do it. Neither can any other governmental official or industrial official who is in the position so high that he has to make many decisions. He can't possibly know, know all the little things. Therefore, we must take it as our responsibility to try to... Um, give a reasonable and valid uh, representation of what, the, of what the truth is, of what really can and cannot be done. In the Achievement Award, I had the feeling that I, was, uh, I had been selected by a group of my peers who were competent to select me. It therefore gave me a sense of, uh, of uh, a capability and a feeling of stature that I think cannot be underestimated. To me, it was a tremendous uh, uh, lift to have that feeling because I think all of us sometimes wonder, uh, what is what we are doing really uh, worthwhile? Is it really valid? And when I was selected as this, I had the feeling it was a credential. It was uh, uh, a, a vouching to myself as well as the rest of the world. And I found that uh, was, uh, had a tremendous, uh, was a tremendous experience to me. Um, I feel that um, the, the work that all of us are doing in all the aspects of engineering have, uh, uh, will have a great deal of impact on uh, the decisions that have to be made in this country. And I think that we women should realize that 
we are very fortunate to belong in engineering to a minority group, the, the uh, women engineers. Uh, as such, you have difficulties in, uh, 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 that to overcome, and I admit we all do, but at the same time, we are listened to in a way that is very difficult for men to achieve, simply because they are lost in the large crowd. And we are kind of singled out. People seem to remember <laughs> uh, for that reason, I feel that uh, all of us have a, uh, uh, a responsibility and a privilege that we should not. Let, let's don't look at the bad side, uh, side of having to uh, uh, fight for recognition as a woman engineer. Uh, we actually, I don't ask really for equality. I believe I like the privilege we have. And we do. It is a definite, uh, an existing privilege. privilege. And uh, I find that that is a, a very useful commodity as uh, acting, even though I'm not an engineer, at least acting like an engineer. Thank you. <laughs> that concludes the 1968 SWE National Convention Panel of Past Achievement Award recipients. It's just a wonderful resource to have in Swiss archives. Absolutely. And this panel not only provided more information about the careers of these estimable women engineers, but it also really gives you a sense of their characters and who they were as people. Yes. And we hope that you enjoyed these talks as much as we did. You can find the transcript for all three episodes in this series of Swiss stories, Tales from the Archives on altogether.swe.org. On behalf of myself and Troy and everyone else at SWE, thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.